You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. In this episode, we answer the question, can I be a gay Christian? So the church and the LGBTQ community have had a complicated relationship throughout the history of the church, and especially in recent years. So how should we as followers of Jesus think about our sexuality, think about our identity, and what Jesus has to say about it. Welcome in to Church Unplugged. Welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. I've got Joe Coffey, our lead pastor, Zach Wyrock, the director of Orchard NEO, and then Paul Turner, who is the associate director of Orchard NEO. Today, the question we are going to look at is, can I be a gay Christian? So the relationship between the church and the LGBTQ community is long and complicated, and there are a lot of layers to this, but the question we're going to look at today, can I be a gay Christian? Okay. Can we uh, define that a little bit? I mean, when you say uh, gay, are you saying that uh, that somebody identifies themselves as as gay, that that's their identity, or is, are, you, are they actively participating in the lifestyle? Are they same-sex attracted? Can we, let's define it. So I think we probably can work through all of those and saying, okay, um, what does what does God's word have to say about somebody who is actively living out a gay lifestyle as opposed to what does God's word have to say about somebody who may be same-sex attracted but is not actively living okay. out a gay lifestyle? Maybe we can move through yeah. how to process and even, each of those. Even before that, I think we'd have to say, what is a Christian? Uh, because I think hidden in this question could be a faulty assumption that a Christian is a Christian because of what they do or don't do, who they sleep with or who they don't sleep with, who they're attracted to, who they're not attracted to. And so we should start by saying that a Christian is someone who believes in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has had their life changed by encountering Jesus and are now living a life of desiring to be surrendered to him and to participate in the advancement of his kingdom. That's what makes you a Christian. Right, who it's, believes that Jesus is the Lord of all things, right? Who is, yeah. uh, so uh, it depends on what they what they think of Jesus, yeah. right? And, and then that yeah. will uh, determine how you respond to Jesus in any area of your life. Well, yeah. I think when right. it comes to any moral issue, there are two uh, big questions that everybody has to ask and answer. And everybody does this, even if they're not thinking about it. The first question is, is anything right or wrong? Because if there's no right or wrong, then it doesn't really matter. Right. But then almost everybody will say that, yes, there is something right, there is something wrong. Next question is, who decides? Yeah. And a Christian is somebody who said, uh, first, what Zach mentioned, that I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but then also I've given him, given him lordship over my life, which means, for me, he decides. Well, and again, they go together. So like, if you think about the Bible as one big story— that has as its aim this great promise that when you die, God can raise you back up. And it's asking you to believe that. And Jesus is the epicenter of that promise because he's the one who came and lived and died and did get back up. And so even your lordship, even even his lordship over your life is connected to this faith idea that he knows how to overcome death. So I'm with him. And being with him means listening to him, following him. But in some ways, if you think about it that way, you we would say, if what someone means when they say, can I be gay and be a Christian, or can you be a gay Christian, that we'd say, well, it depends on what you mean. If you mean, can I be a Christian and struggle in this area? Absolutely. 
But if you mean, can I be a Christian and not invite Jesus into this area of my life? The answer is no. Faith is proven based on what do you say about Jesus? And in that way, you could say, can I be an angry Christian? Can I be a a deceptive Christian? Can I be... At its core, we're saying, well, well, Christian has not... Its beginning point is not doing or not doing any of these things. It's what you believe about Jesus. The question then is, those who believe in Jesus, how will that affect these areas of their lives, and in this case, the se- their sexuality. Yeah, and I think in a, as I engage that conversation more and more, I just can't escape the reality of identity. Like, I hear that so much, you know what I mean? That what does it truly mean to have your identity in Christ and let that be it alone? Because if that means something, you being a Christian, what does that mean for your sexuality? What does that mean for the way you, your marriage? What does that mean for you on your workplace? And I think that that's probably one of the larger questions is that not what you can put before Christian, but what does it mean to be Christian in general? Yeah. And how that Christian informs comes first. every aspect right. of your life. Yeah. Now, let me say this, though. If somebody, and, and I've interacted with uh, people who are gay who ask me this, they'll say, well, Paul, you're African-American, so you may be a Christian, first, but you can't ever get rid of being an African-American. That's part of your identity. Mm -hmm. And then they'll say, God made me gay, and they want to make it equal to being black. And they'll say, uh, I am a Christian, Mm -hmm. but I also happen to be gay, just like you are a Christian and you happen to be black. What would you say to that? Yeah, I would say that uh, first, anytime I hear that, it's always, it feels disrespectful to me personally. Um, only because there, there, there is a particular history that as a black man I've dealt with here in America and in general, and that to equate sexual behavior to, your eth- to, to an ethnicity and the hate that has arisen because of those realities, one you can hide, the other you can't. And so there, one has a history of true oppression, one has argumentatively just some frustrations regarding how you live in the society. But no one's been no one no, and I'm not saying hate crimes don't exist. Some of those hate crimes don't happen for people who who are homosexuals. But by and large, they don't have a KKK coming after them. You know what I mean? By and large, they don't have a history that says 200 something years of slavery because you were homosexual. And so it's always I tell people it's it's two different ball games. But what I will say is that I am a Christian first, absolutely. But I will also say that yes, ethnicities are beautiful. So. I can't go into a, I can't go into some type of uh, art museum and tell an artist who's painting it that colors don't matter. You know what I mean? The color absolutely does matter, and God is the ultimate author. He's the ultimate artist that He's created a world with so many ethnicities and so many colors. So we celebrate that, and nothing in Scripture has gone against that. Yeah, I think that's the key. Theologically, ethnicity is not a sign of brokenness. Yep. God didn't intend homogenization, that then when sin entered the world, we began to take on different skin tones. I think the Bible does make clear that sexuality is an area in which brokenness exists, in, by the way. For everyone. In a, yes, in a lot yep. of forms. And so, again, I think before we wind up at maybe the inevitable conclusion that people are bracing for, I, I think it's important to say, when someone says, can I be gay and be a Christian? I think it's a good question to wrestle with. You would also have to wrestle with, can I be a Christian and live with my girlfriend? Correct. Can I be a Christian and look at pornography? Can I be? Because the genesis of that is, can I be a Christian and be at odds with what Scripture says about my sexuality? And we're all born with broken sexuality in one way or another, and that broken sexuality puts us at odds 
with Scripture, and then we have to wrestle with, well, what does it mean to consider Jesus, to follow Jesus in the midst of having this broken sexuality? And I, I think sometimes the way the church does uh, people who sh- who are dealing with same-sex attraction a disservice is that it seems to very much so want to make this an issue, but wanting to almost turn a blind eye to cohabitation, to fornication, to even in some cases to adultery, divorce certainly to pornography, to divorce. So uh, I think the one of the things the church has to admit is that we like to pick and choose uh, the sexual areas that we're going to take the Bible seriously in. But uh, but that's a question we all have to wrestle with. What does it mean to be a Christian and have broken sexuality? And one of the things, going back to Jimmy's uh, question, which is uh, if there is a right and wrong, who gets to decide, is uh, one of the things all of us as Christians need to continually remind ourselves is that uh, Jesus is more uh, concerned about our happiness than we are. No, concerned isn't right. Um, Jesus knows more about how we're wired why we're wired a certain way. He knows what's best for us. And if we believe that he went to the cross and died for us, then we can trust him to when he when he tells us to do certain things or to not do certain things, that he has our best interest at heart. Yeah, and you know, one of the ways Jesus does this for us is he models it. So the night Jesus is arrested, he prays, Father, if there's any other way, can we do it that way? And what he really is saying is that my inclination, my my human desire would be to not do it this way. Can we find another way? And he gets a no from God, right? God tells him, nope, you're going to have to trust me. We're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it my way. And he goes to the cross, and on the cross, it seems as though anyone who listens to God's way is an idiot. (laughs) This is not a good way. But when he raises from the dead, Jesus is saying to us, see, I told you, I'm telling you, those who listen to God, even against their own inclinations, will in the end not be disappointed. So Jesus understands what it is to say to the Father, I would like this, but I will receive that if that's what you want. And he shows that. But I want to piggyback on something you said, Paul, about identity, because I think that's so crucial, because becoming a Christian is being a Christian first. I mean, I would use this analogy that I am a husband, and also I'm a friend, uh, but I'm a husband first before I am a friend. So that one of my buddies says, hey, let's go do this this weekend. I always say, let me check with Amy, because I, I know there might be things going on they're not, they're not aware of. She might have needs or concerns that I need to be mindful of. And I'm not apologetic to my friend when I say, ah, that's not going to work out. Talk to Amy. That's not going to work. My first fidelity, my first kind of devotion is to my wife. It's not, not to my friends. And in that way, a Christian is someone who says, no matter what else is at war in me, culture, my own inclination, my own desire, uh, I am first a follower of Jesus Christ. I trust him more than I trust any other voice in my head. And certainly that has implications as it relates to sexuality. I love the story that I've heard you tell, Zach, about the young woman that just came to Christ, right? And then she was going to a party yeah. that Friday night. Go ahead and tell yeah. that, because that, yeah. that relates to uh, to all sexuality, but I love the way she responded. Yeah, yeah, so a girl at the church I planted in Cleveland became a believer on a Wednesday, and I got coffee with her on Friday, so only been a Christian for a couple of days. And on Friday, at the end of our time together, I asked her, what are you, what you, you going to do this weekend? And she mentioned there was a party on campus 
campus and she was going to go there and she wanted to hook up with a guy, a particular guy that she was interested in. That means she wanted to sleep with him. And at first I was kind of taken back. People don't usually speak that frankly to pastors. Uh, it made me feel like a real person for a second. But uh, I, I said to her, oh, uh, okay, uh, would you want to hear what Jesus says about that? And she said, sure. And so I took about 20 minutes, 30 minutes to walk her through biblical sexuality. And at the end, I didn't know what she was going to do. I thought she might say, oh, well, that's not what I signed up like for. Like buyer's regret. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, well, I'm out. Uh, you know, that's not. But she looked at me and, she, and I said, what do you think? And she said, I think I'm going to have to make new plans for this weekend. And, and for her, it was she was with Jesus. I mean, she had become convinced she could trust Jesus. She didn't know what he said about sex, and so she was going to go with her own opinion. But once confronted with what Jesus said, here's what she did know. I do know I love him, and I trust right. him, and I'm with him. And that's really the invitation of Christianity to all of us, is to, to see in Jesus a God that we can love and trust enough to let him speak into these things. So maybe the first point of disagreement with Christianity and the current culture's view of sexuality is you are not most fundamentally who you want to sleep with. Like in our culture, you would say, my name's Zach and I am straight. I am gay. I am this. I am that. And the Bible would say, actually, you are first an image bearer. You you are second a Christian and and then whatever else. In agreement, I, that's one of the things that I, I typically, when I'm engaging someone who is, and of course they come and they ask the question, and uh, and that's, I always try my hardest to just first instill the identity piece in them, and it's not in your sexual behavior. You are so much more than that. You are so much, you're not, I am so much more than a heterosexual male. You know what I mean? I'm so much more than that, but I'm not less than that either. And I think sometimes this question is trying to be addressed in, in the reality of who am I truly, and yeah. just saying, no, who you are truly is first an image bearer of God first. And that's if you are a non-believer, you yeah. are an image bearer of God. Anyone who is a human is an image bearer of God. But then secondly, for someone who would say, I am a Christian, you are an image bearer of God, but now you are also a disciple of Jesus and what he says goes in your life and he's Lord. And so let's attack it from those first two aspects, not just in the matter of sexual behavior first and then all these other things. So just piggybacking on what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And I think the... Yeah. I think the distinction there, real quick, is that someone who says, I'm a gay Christian, if what they mean is, I'm someone who wants a relationship with Jesus, but only in so much as he does not seek to change my identity, then you don't really want a relationship with Jesus. You're telling him, I've already fenced off portions of my life, you can't enter, versus someone who says, I am a Christian, who's dealing with this over here, but they're rooting their identity. It's not semantics, that difference really matters. I was going to say, I mean... When you think about those possible identities, the identity that Jesus offers us is so much more compelling than basing who I am and how I view the world and every bit of me on who I sleep with, as opposed to what Jesus says about me, that that I am loved, that I can belong to God, that everything that is broken within me can be healed and restored and made right, that, you know, it's just, I, it, sometimes it's hard for me to even understand because... Um, those identities, I just feel that the identity that Christ gives us is so much more compelling than defining myself and who I am based on sexuality. Yeah, and the nature of being a Christian uh, is surrender, right, to Jesus, which is ultimately saying, I don't get to self-label anyways. I'm giving up the right to self-label, that I am whatever Jesus says that I am, 
I am not whatever I say that I am. And there's power in that. Yeah, that's really a good thing. Right, because you might say, I am a big mistake. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I'm a loser. And Jesus comes along and says, actually, there's no power in what you say. There's power in what I say. And here's what I say about you. I think you're right, Jimmy. What Jesus says about us is always going to be better than whatever we'd say about ourselves. But it will mean laying that down. Even when you think about the story of the rich young ruler, that really what's at stake there is that guy wants to know Jesus in so much as he can continue to be the rich young ruler. And Jesus is inviting him into, actually, I want more than that. I want to be in the kind of relationship with you that changes you. I want you to be open to the idea that I may want to change you. And by the way, that's the nature of any real relationship, A, a, a romantic relationship, a friendship, a mentorship. True, genuine relationship is allowing another person to change you, to be changed by them. And that's the invitation of the Bible. And that's why I think someone who says, I am a Christian and I'm gay is missing the point. And I would wonder what they mean by Christian. Do they mean I've entered into a relationship with a God who's proven that he's loved me and he's proven it so much to me that I'm coming to him saying, do whatever you want with my life. Okay. I don't think they mean that. There's a you know growing movement within uh, the church in some places that's very affirming of homosexuality specifically and a lot of in the LG, or they're just very open and affirming to the LGBTQ community in general. And when they say that, what they're saying is we, as you said earlier, we believe that the traditional interpretation of what God has to say about sexuality is wrong. It's not updated for our time. How do we respond to that movement? What do we... Yeah, there's only two ways that you can make that argument. <clears throat> and that argument's always going to take one of two forms. Either, number one, you can't trust the Bible on sex. Or number two, you're reading the Bible wrong about sex. So let's just deal with the first one. Uh, here's the, the idea is that the biblical writers allowed the culture of their time to permeate their writing. So, you know, Paul was a misogynist or a homophobe, and that's why he wrote what he wrote in Romans 1, where he talked about exchanging natural for unnatural, and and that that, that was his homophobia, and and uh, you, you shouldn't allow that to creep in. Here's the problem with that. The same guy who wrote Romans 1 also wrote Romans 5, which tells you that because of Jesus' righteousness in your place, you can be saved. And if you can't trust him on sex, you can't trust him on salvation. Like that just doesn't make sense logically. If he couldn't even get sex right, he cannot get how you save your soul right. And we have to know that every culture has something. Absolutely. Well, and the Bible challenges the culture of the first century repeatedly, Yeah, particularly on gender and and sex and marriage and all those things. So so it's in no way true that the Bible... In fact, if you study the history of Christianity particularly as it related to sexuality, they were incredibly countercultural. And, and I mean, just it eventually changing the world by what they said was true of marriage and true of sex and, and all these kinds of things. The second thing is that you're not reading it right. And here's what I'll say about that. Uh, for 2,000 years, this was not a disagreement at all. In church history. No church fathers were saying anything even close to this. And Uh, there are a lot of cultures in the 21st century where they're not reading it like this. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And by the way, lest you think, well, all those cultures were homophobic. Well, go study Greece, okay? Go study. Like, that's not true. That's just not true. Go study the Romans. That wasn't true. The, The culture the Bible was written in had a category for homosexuality, particularly old men with young boys. And yet the Bible unabashedly challenged that. And and that was never, ever questioned until today, when today there's a sizable amount of the population who wants it to be true and is challenging it. There is no argument on the merits that the Bible in any way endorses anything beyond a heterosexual, faithful, 
marriage as the arena for sex. That argument just can't, can't be made in any kind of logical way. So the question is whether or not you can believe the Bible. And if you can't believe it on sex, you can't believe it on, really, salvation. I would argue anything, but right. certainly not salvation. Or whether or not you're going to think that for 2,000 years, God allowed the church to get something wrong. And just recently, unanimously, yes. Mm-hmm. And just recently, God has said, "You know what? Now I'm going to show them that homosexuality is okay, and I didn't mean it when I said it in the scriptures." You can read back through church history, and they disagree on just about everything. You know, there That's are right. just all kinds of things that they disagree on, but they that's don't right. disagree about this, about what the Bible has to say about this, and that's that's got to be worth something in our minds because it's only within you know the last ten, fifteen years where all of a sudden. There's a subsection of the church that's saying, you know what, for thousands of years now, everybody who's ever read in this seminary, read they wrong. used to tell us if you read the Bible, you know, one of the great things about Christianity is it's very old. And if you read the Bible and you come up with something new, you're wrong. <laughs> and, sure. and I think that applies here. Now let's change, uh, let's change gears a little bit and make it a different question. Uh, what if somebody says, I'm a Christian, uh, can I be a Christian and be same sex attracted? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say, uh, and uh, there's a. I'm gonna give a plug to a really to a really good book called uh, "Gay Girl, Good God" uh, by Jackie Hill Perry. She's a spoken word artist. She is a uh, she. She's amazing. But something she says in a book that I think is so important is that her struggle with homosexuality was that God was calling her into a relationship with Him, and so she said. She said she came to the realization that God wasn't so interested in making her a heterosexual woman. That wasn't as what the interest the of the goal. relationship. That right. wasn't the goal. She said, God wants me to be holy. God's purpose for me was to be holy, not heterosexual. And I think that reigns so true to how we address this is that, that again, going back to an identity thing, that's part of the identity that God gives you. You are now a new creation. You are now holy. And what that means for you until the reality of that is, you know, is, uh, is consummated, but what that means for you is it affects your area of this life. But God is not saying, well, you're doing it wrong, so flip it to this side. So I want you to love men now instead of loving women. God is saying, I'm calling you into a relationship with me. And if you are same-sex attracted, what it does, it echoes the sentiment of the brokenness that is within you, but I've come to restore that through Jesus Christ. And so then it leads us right back to where the gospel picks it right up where our brokenness is. And what I love about that is I think of Ephesians 5, where I'm told that Jesus is washing the church with the water of the word. And, and, you know, there's what, what... that's saying is that we're dirty, yep. right? All of us, we're yep. dirty. And he's got to wash us. You remember as a child, like being given a bath or whatever, some of the scrubbing, it hurts. If you've been playing the mud long enough, like it, you, you've got to really scrub to get it off. But then it says this, and this is the key. Jesus is washing us with the water of his word in order that he might present us to himself. What he wants is us, right? What he wants is us. And what he's going to undertake in all of our lives is this washing process that in all of us, in some areas, is almost instantaneous. And in other areas is a slow, laborious process that may not even be concluded until death. But he's doing that in order to have us. And so the real question at play is, here: do I... Do I believe that Jesus loves me? Do I believe his washing me is so that he can have me? And if that's true, then why would I fight it? A Christian is someone who says, oh, why would I fight what Jesus is doing in my life? He loves me. He's for me. He's proven that. And so can you be a Christian and struggle with same-sex attraction? Absolutely. Because what you're saying is, I, I need to be washed. Right. Right? Wesley but, Hill wrote a book, Washed and Waiting. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic book. Very good. Yeah. Then I also think it also, on the other side of that, because it's no different than us as married men. 
women did not stop becoming attractive when we became married. You know what I right, mean? Like right. women are still attractive. Yes, that is true. However, I've committed myself. I'm convinced my wife is the one for me. And so I married her. So what it means is that for me to also be a husband, but also a, a Christian who is a husband, it means that just marriage between myself and my wife, sex between just myself and my wife in the marriage bed being committed to her is what that would mean for me to be a Christian. And so that affects that, yes, there are other women around, but no, I don't step into that territory because, well, my wife is amazing, number one, if you're listening, wife. But secondly, because... <laughs> second, second, <laughs> you just called your wife wife. Wifey. I, just, I don't want to drop her name, wifey. But, uh, but no, but then also, again, just saying that what it does, it informs me as a husband and that women don't stop becoming attractive, but I'm following Christ. And if following Christ means that I'm only with one woman for the rest of my life, that's what that means. And I I want to. I'm convinced of that. But just so that people who who do struggle with this don't think that it's something that's only particular to them in general. You know what I mean? And I think it's, I'm glad you said that. I think it's a good place to say, if you're listening to this and you are a Christian struggling with same-sex attraction, particularly at Christ Community Chapel, we probably should start by saying, man, the church really has, in general, as a culture in America, done you a disservice. In, In that, if you don't feel like you can come to small group and you can be open about where you're really at, then we owe you an apology. Because there's a stigma attached to your brokenness that isn't attached to ours, and that's not right, and that's not not biblical, it's not fair, it's unloving, and I'm sorry that we're sorry that you've had to come up under that. And I think as Christians, you think, well, how can I help? Here's how you can help. And this is where a Christian differs from the culture. You don't help by affirming what God says isn't good. Amen. That feels like helping, but it isn't helping. You help by saying, you can speak to me as one broken person in need of washing to another. And that is how we're going to address each other. So when a man comes to small group and talks about being attracted to the guy in the cubicle next to him, we need to weep alongside of him the same way and challenge him the same way we would a guy who's dating a girl and talking about how they're struggling not to sleep together. And if we see one as different than the other, that that's, that's unrighteousness right. we need to repent of. Yeah, there's a, uh, a, I think, a book called... Good Faith that I read one time, and there was a story in it that the author told about, uh, I think it was him or somebody that he knew was in a debate with an activist for a a same-sex, or sorry, uh, an LGBTQ activist at Stanford University, and the debate kind of started with the uh, LGBTQ activist looking at at him and saying, because of your religious beliefs, you think I'm broken. And the other person said, yes, but... Also, I think I'm broken too. Like we're both, as you said, yeah, in need of washing. Yeah, and I and again, I just think that the the where I want to fix your eyes biblically is that your Savior. You know, the Book of Hebrews says we we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it is to not is to be told what he wants he can't have by the Father. He knows what that is. Like when you pray to Jesus about your same-sex attraction, he understands what it is to be told no by the Father, to be told, trust me, even if it's not what you want. He knows what it is to be hanging on the cross and have everyone saying, you're an idiot, you're a fool, you shouldn't listen to God, God doesn't love you, if he loved you, this wouldn't be happening. Just like the culture says to you, you're an idiot for surrendering your sexuality to Jesus, you can't trust him, look at what he's costing you. But there is a day coming, and this is what the resurrection points us to, there's a day coming where all those who trust Jesus with their sexuality will be vindicated and they will be seen that he was simply washing them 
so that he could be in relationship with them forever. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, and one of the things we want to continue to do is make the connection between our faith in Jesus and our everyday lives. So if you have a question or topic that you'd like to hear discussed, feel free to email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. And if you want more information about Christ Community Chapel, our church, you can go to our website, which is www.ccchapel.com. Thanks for listening.